Hello, I'm Mike Patra, and I'm the host of the Hoopball DFS Today podcast. Come join us as we go game by game, breaking down our top plays, fades, values, pivots, and talk overall strategy for both tournaments and cash games. And the best part, we're doing this seven days a week. So come check us out. That's Hoopball DFS Today. And you can follow me on Twitter, at Mike Patria for any updates, listener contests, and DFS information. The following is a Hoop Bowl presentation. Welcome to the Fantasy NBA Today podcast. Good morning, everybody. Hope you all are enjoying a relaxing, perhaps, start to your Labor Day, your three-day weekend. Now, uh, wiggling toward its conclusion. And you've had plenty of excellent basketball to watch, so I guess we've got that part covered. This is Fantasy NBA Today. Good morning. I assume you're listening in the morning, but if not, hello. I'm Dan Vespris. This is a hoopball presentation. Hoop-ball.com, the website, at Hoopball Fantasy or at Hoopball Tweets on Twitter. Hoopball Official on Instagram. I haven't been promoting that nearly as much as I should be. As a Hoopball show, we should probably point out that Hoopball is on Instagram. Hoopball Official, again, is the uh, the handle over there. Uh, great stuff at, at Hoopball right now. The, uh, the magical... Mike Apatria and Brenton Eckersley have DFS today. That's out. Brenton also put in a uh, sort of a corresponding written piece called the DFS delivery that's normally for premium subscribers, but you guys can all see it during the playoffs. It's free throughout the NBA playoffs this year. That type of stuff is only for premium subs during the regular season. So that's up. You can see the links to those. Those are at Hoop Ball Fantasy and, and at the hoop-ball.com main page. Uh, really, really, really good stuff from our DFS team. That's they're just they're they're just taking down cards sort of <laughs> quietly every day, and uh, more people should be taking notice of that. Wonderful work as always by the Hoopball Gaming Group as they find bets to isolate across all sports. Josh Millman was back on that show this week uh, or late last week, I should say, for NFL futures. They'll be doing football. They've got soccer, basketball, baseball, you name it. So really good things still happening all across the board here uh, at HoopBall. Today's uh, show is, is going to be the usual fare here during the postseason. We're going to be looking towards what's happening tonight as kind of the quick strike, make sure we can get our thoughts down on paper, which is, or rather was, more important when many of you were trying to listen to the show quickly after it came out, but that first game was like 15 minutes later. Now we actually have most of the day. Specifically, if you're on East, uh, Eastern time, the games are at normal evening times. You've got basically traditional basketball in the uh, middle of your evening and then the relatively late side. Out here on the Pacific Coast, we're just a tiny bit before our normal basketball day begins. Boston and Toronto is at 3.30 Pacific time this afternoon. And the Clippers and the Nuggets are two and a half hours after that. That is a 6 o'clock Pacific time start. So those are some late those the late ones, man. The late ones are late. These teams are tipping at nine Eastern time. But you know what? No one's there, so whatever. Player families. Someone made a really funny uh, uh, mention. I can't remember where I saw it. That 
it, it was in the Friday game, Lakers and Rockets on Friday, when Westbrook had a couple of good plays in the fourth quarter and started screaming swears, just screaming them to no crowd. But two weeks ago, or whatever it was, three weeks ago, there was literally no one there. So he was screaming it to, you know, a couple of broadcasters in soundproof plexiglass booths, uh, a public address announcer, and some digital screens. Now there's uh, effectively wives and children in the bubble, or spouses, significant others and children, I guess I should say. So Westbrook, and I think that the the social media post I'm remembering was like, it just, someone was saying how it tickled them that these kids were probably watching Baby Shark on their parents' iPad and then interrupted by Westbrook shouting profanities in their face. It's a pretty, it's a pretty amazing thing to think about. But that's what's going on down there. The bubble is a weird spot, but we are getting some awesome playoff basketball, and I couldn't be more excited about Pretty much every one of these games, three really compelling series and a fourth series that got ever so slightly more compelling, but in kind of a weird way. And we'll do a weekend recap here shortly. Want to get some thoughts out on the lines for tonight. Boston favored by one and a half over Toronto. We're finally now, and I think this is the first one. Now, Boston, I guess, was it was basically a pick on Boston by a point on that Saturday game. But that line now has finally, after the first three games, shifted in Boston's favor. And it doesn't take much for you gambling buffs. You already know this point, but those that are just kind of now beginning to get into it, moving across the pick'em is one of the quickest moves that a line makes because there's really no, no huge inherent value in going from being a one point favorite to a one point dog or vice versa. Most games in the NBA, you know, a game can't end on a tie basically. So if one team wins by one and you had a team at one, you're pushing anyway. If it's at one and a half, you've given up one. So one and a half to one and a half is not a a tiny move. One to one, the move from from a one-point favorite to a one-point dog is a very quick move because it means almost nothing. If you had the team that was a one-point underdog and they lost by one, you pushed. Cool. If it flips the other direction... The other team could potentially push in a one-point game. Like, there's no, there's no big swing there. It takes a lot more. That two-point shift is the easiest two-point shift from a money-coming-in standpoint. Moving from, say, one-and-a-half to three-and-a-half, that takes a lot more money. But that's not the point here. Uh, the point here is that finally things have shifted in Boston's favor in terms of they are now the very, very small favorite in this series. But the series has also shifted because Toronto won that crazy game on Thursday on the Ananobi desperation heave that at least briefly saved their season. And then Toronto came back on Saturday and actually just played a better, specifically defensive ball game because they still can't throw a stone in the ocean on offense. But they held Boston down finally. With the exception of Jason Tatum, who has been having quietly a pretty darn good series. The rest of the Celtics didn't do much in that game on Saturday. Some of that was Toronto. Some of that was just, you know, guys having slower ball games. You know, Kemba had a big one, and he kind of followed that up with a slow one. Jalen Brown has been slowed in this series. Marcus Smart, he's never been a massive offensive weapon. So when he caught fire, I think that was in game two, you knew that wasn't going to be a thing that stuck. And so now you're into 
pretty traditional slugfest territory. I thought, wrongly, might I add, I thought wrongly that game two or game three would go over the total. When, you know, you had that first game where they were sort of feeling each other out, and then one of the next two, I thought, all right, one of these teams is going to make an offensive adjustment that's going to push them up a little bit. And it probably would have been game three, although the pace wasn't entirely there. The team shot the ball okay, and that one ended at 207. Game four ended at 193. No one could shoot to save their lives. Toronto at 39.5%, Boston at 44%. Neither team was making their free throws, and, you know, there were some, but not a ton. Boston missed their three-pointers. Um, there weren't a ton of live ball turnovers to lead to easy buckets, and so now this thing is ground to a halt. It's a 2-2 tie headed into Game 5. The total is plummeting now. It's at 212, which is far and away the lowest the series has seen so far. It started in that 218 range. By Game 2 or 3, it was down to 216. By the last one, it was 215, and now it's at 212. At some point, it'll move too far, and I don't know if we're at that point yet. I mean, 193 is a crazy low mark. Now... To be fair, the pace actually hasn't changed all that much. Boston had 27 free throws and 75 shots. I don't know how you want to uh, pull that apart. You can cut the free throws in half, which is not fully accurate. It's a rough estimate because there are and ones and technical fouls and things like that. But if you call the free throws 13 and a half additional possessions, that puts Boston uh, at 88 and a half possessions. Plus the 14 turnovers is 102 and a half possessions. And if you do the same thing on the Toronto side, 86 shots, 12 turnovers is 98. Plus nine and a half puts them uh, at 107 and a half. So 107 and a half, and the other one was 102 and a half. Did I get that right? Anyway, this is a very rough estimate. You know, there are things like offensive rebounds, there are weird possessions, blah blah blah, uh, dead ball turnovers, um, rebounds that bounce out of bounds. It all changes these things. But this is. Just at a quick, rough estimate, you know, 107.5 for one team, 102.5 for the other, puts you at 210 possessions in the ballgame, which you think would have probably led to more than 193 points. Look at the previous game. Point of reference. Toronto, 88 shots, plus 13 turnovers is 101, plus 8 free throw possessions is 109. For Boston, 83 plus 14 is 97, plus 10.5 is uh, 107 and a half. So the possessions actually came down game over game. If you're just doing that that quick and very fuzzy math, it's inaccurate. There are things that are going to mess this up. Go back to game two. Only 76 shots for Boston. 17 turnovers. That gets it all the way to 93. And another 12 and a half at the free throw line is 105 and a half. For Toronto, 90 plus 12 is 102 plus 9 and a half. They were up over 111 possessions in that game but only put up 99 points. Because there weren't many ter- many free throws, and they didn't make many of their 90 shots. But that's the point you're getting at here. The possession count in these games, from a just fuzzy math standpoint, is actually coming down. The games are getting slower. So while the total is sort of chasing the number down, the games have moved away. If the possession count was the same in every one of these games, I'd say, look, at some point the total is going to move too far. But right now, the games are slowing down 
The offense has been horrible. So here, let's do another test. Let's look at the most recent ball game, which we said was, I believe, 210 combined possessions. Let's say these teams actually do hit a few more shots. Let's say Toronto shoots better than 39.5%. Can they really? I mean, we're still looking at a total of 212, meaning 106, 106 roughly, 107, 106 if you think it's going to go over. Can these teams get to that mark at the current pace? I don't know. I To me, I don't think the answer is yes. Toronto, they're starting to figure it out a little bit. They made a bunch more three-pointers. Even in their poor shooting, I still think that, you know, looking at offensive rebounds made a big deal, right? They took 11 more shots than the opposition. Didn't out-rebound Boston, but long rebounds, three-pointers, things like that. It really ran up the score a little bit. Are they going to hit 17 threes again in the next ball game? Some of those shots that go in are going to be twos. So I'm still looking at the under because this series just keeps getting slower. Turned into a good one now, huh? Everybody had Boston ready to to walk into this sunset here, going up 3-0, it looked like. And then whammo, reality. Clippers and Nuggets. Uh, Clippers caught the Nuggets tired in Game 1. That was way back on Thursday, and then all of a sudden we thought, oh boy, is this not going to be a good series? Luckily for us, it's still not a bad series. Denver came back with an offensive flurry in the second ball game. They did slow as the game went on, but got out to a quick start and then were able to sort of ride that through. Nikola Jokic was wonderful, 26-18 and 18 in that game on Saturday. He even blocked three shots, which might be a career high without even looking it up. We got good Jamal Murray in game two, as we've seen before when he plays well, Denver wins ball games. And meanwhile, on the other side, uh, Patrick Beverly got ejected, but he only played 15 minutes anyway at foul issues we knew there were going to be foul issues with pat said it we said it but if he's going to be in foul trouble the whole ball game that takes a lot of sting out of their defensive energy not just not ability necessarily but defensive energy paul george 22 points on 19 shots Kawhi leonard had a rare rough one and then it was a real ugly one 13 points on 17 shots 10 rebounds eight assists three steals a block i mean he still played well sort of Michael Green played well, Ivica Zubats played well, but you know, the 101 points against that Denver defense is not it's not going to get it done. Clippers shot just 41%, 69% at the free throw line. Clippers did a lot of things very poorly in game 2, uh and still we're only 9 points back. This augurs poorly for Denver. This is going to be a very difficult series for the Nuggets, but it's it is nice to see them competing and taking one. I really, really wish Jeremy Grant would stop having nice ball games, and I know he only shot one for nine, but five defensive stats, seven rebounds. He makes a couple of three-pointers there. I, this is like, please hide this man because he's an old man squad target that the longer he hangs around, the longer people are going to take notice. Anyway, that's what happened in the last ball game. The line for the game today is Clippers by eight and a half. They haven't really moved off of their mark. Clippers were by nine and a half in the first one, nine in the second one. They came down by half a point, despite them losing by nine in the last ball game. So they've got their power rankings, and they're not moving off of that number. Total of 220 in this ball game. Uh, last game ended at 211, went under the total by 13. First game uh, ended at 217. Clippers put up a truckload of points in that one, and it still just did barely stay under the mark. 
Uh, one thing to, and you know, we can play our same game that we played with the other one. In game one, the Clippers shot 57%, uh, 84 shot attempts, 14 turnovers is 98, plus eight and a half possessions, if you want to call it that, at the free throw line is uh, 106 and a half. On the Nuggets side, 98 plus 13 and a half would have gotten them to about 111 or so, plus a half, I believe, in that first ball game. Game two, uh, Denver 91 shots, 12 terminators, 103, plus 8.5 is, again, 111.5. They had the exact same number of possessions. Clippers, uh, their possession count actually went way up in game two, thanks to the 17 turnovers, 52 rebounds. I mean, you know, the pace picked up in this game, 91 shots, 88 shots between the two teams in a game where... uh, the number of free throws is actually relatively high, at least on the Clippers' side as well. So there were a lot of possessions in Game 2. That was a game that ended at 2-11 that probably should have been higher. So I look at this ball game, a total that was at 224 and now came down by four points. If these two teams are going to play a similar ball game to Game 2, it'll go over. There were more than enough possessions in that game to get this thing over the total. The possession number... What did we just say it was? I already lost track. 103, 111.5 for the Nuggets and almost 120 for the Clippers. I mean, that's a that's a boatload of possessions right there. 119.5. Boy, yeah, that, I mean, you know, you're looking at 230 roughly possessions. So that's a game that should have probably gone over the total. If the Clippers make more than 69% of their free throws or 41% of their shots, if the Nuggets hit more than 76% of their free throws, the high turnover count was actually probably helpful just to sort of get guys out and get them running. But, you know, here's, here's the bottom line. Clippers are probably going to shoot better in this ball game. The Nuggets, do they get to 45% again? I don't know. They may actually come down off their mark a little bit. So the Nuggets might not get to 110. Uh, 105? And the Clippers put up 115? They should on 120 possessions. So slightly into the over in that ball game. I, I don't have a... I don't have a great feel for the side in either one of these games. It's weird. Quick break here to talk about our buddies over at Manscaped.com. They've been a wonderful partner to this point. I see no reason why that wouldn't be the case going forward. Please do check them out. Manscaped.com. Just a, a fantastic organization doing good things and putting out a good product. The Lawnmower 3.0 waterproof technology. You can do it in the shower. When I say do it, I mean shave. Don't be gross. Uh, it's got a built-in LED, so you can see what you're doing with it. The light is is wonderful. 90-minute battery lifetime, and of course, pinch-free technology. That's been the deal for Manscaped since they came to pass. That was their first thing. They're like, look, we made a sideburn trimmer that won't pinch. You can use it on anything, and of course, they now gravitate to the below-the-belt grooming thing, but you can use it on anything. If it doesn't pinch, that's great. Pinching's the worst. Especially now, I mean, look, in quarantine, I think we can all just get away with shaving with a sideburn trimmer anyway. If at all. (laughs) Manscaped.com. Promo code is HOOPBALL20. Almost forgot to tell you guys that. 20% off free shipping. HOOPBALL. (laughs) Sounded like I said poopball there. HOOPBALL20 is the promo code. 20% off free shipping with our buddies over at Manscaped.com. Wonderful, wonderful stuff. I I love my lawnmower, and you will, too. 
Weekend was fun. Uh, we could go back as far as Friday if you wanted to, but that feels like overkill. So let's just start on yesterday's games, Sunday being yesterday, and we'll talk about Sunday and Saturday's games and then uh, put a pin in, in the podcast since what the hell else are we going to talk about these days other than... Uh, yeah, I mean, that's it, if unless, unless some news breaks, but it hasn't. <laughs> there hasn't been any news. The only news that's broken is Giannis's ankle. It's not broken, by the way. It's sprained. I was trying to do a funny thing there with a the transition, but it didn't really work. Giannis Antetokounmpo sprained his ankle in the game on Friday, aggravated it uh, in, in a more ugly fashion on Sunday, uh, the inverted sprain where the ankle goes inward. I don't know if he's playing in their game tomorrow. He was moving around. I believe he had a walking boot on. Either that or it was just very, very heavily taped, like like two, two inches, like double pane tape around that ankle. Uh, Giannis had 19 points in 11 minutes before injuring his ankle, and at that point, there were a lot of folks that probably reasonably thought, all right, well, Milwaukee is going to fight here for a little bit because they got that injured star energy, and then they'll probably fold. But Middleton had 36 points, took 28 shots, played a season-high 48 minutes in this ballgame, and kept Milwaukee alive to see one more day. He really just said no one else needs to do anything at this point. He was like, look, enough's enough. I'm going to just do what I can. Let's try to defend, see if we can squeeze this thing out. Of course, the big story in this game, you know, in addition to the fact that over on the other side, the Heat are just a team with great floor spacing that finds a way to, to get things done. Like, the Heat probably should have won this game. I mean, you think no Giannis, and they hit 17 more three-pointers, but anyway, they didn't. Doesn't matter at this point. They'll they'll play again tomorrow. Um, as the minutes on the Milwaukee side, which has been the talking point across, I think, every branch of basketball coverage that I can think of, and it's... You know, we, we, there's this desire, I think, at times to complicate matters. What are the teams doing well or poorly from a schematic standpoint? And oftentimes, that's a good thing to do. You want to dig into the details and find out what's going right and wrong. You know, what, what should Milwaukee be doing when Miami sets up their Giannis wall, blah, blah, blah. And making those subtle adjustments, or big ones, is, uh, is sometimes enough. The the other side of that is sometimes the answer is so simple that you just have to be an, a, a moron not to at least consider it. And that, of course, is play your best damn players like your season's on the line. I know it's been said a thousand times, but I'll say it a thousand and one. Giannis, Middleton, Bledsoe. Brooke Lopez, these guys averaging in the mid-30s in minutes in a playoff series where they're getting worked is unacceptable. It's unacceptable. I mean, it's it's so stupid. It's so stupid. What are I I totally get it during the regular season. I totally get it. And I will back it up a million times over. The regular season, especially on a really good team like Milwaukee, is meaningless. They racked up, I mean, they racked up 50-some-odd wins again while 
while not even really trying that hard. I mean, like, they, they played their guys like 30-some-odd low 30s minutes per game. Here, wait, let me pull up the numbers here. Uh, Giannis averaged 30 and a half minutes a game this year. 30 and a half. Middleton, 30 and a half. Where was Brooke Lopez at? 27 and a half. Where was Eric Bledsoe? I mean, he was hurt a lot, but 27 and change. Cool, man. You racked up the best winning percentage in the league while barely having to play your superstars. Two and a half quarters a game, they played them out of the four quarters. And it was enough. But we're talking about the playoffs now. Why, why, why is this... Why was this the thing you did during the regular season if you weren't going to change that plan come playoff time? Have you lost your damn mind? As a point of reference, take one of the oldest superstars in the NBA. LeBron James. How many minutes did he play in that game against Houston yesterday? 39 39. When they needed him on the floor more, he went on the floor more. In the game they lost to Portland, the first game of the playoffs, when that game was a fight right until the very bitter end, and then Portland hit a couple of 40-footers to beat him. LeBron played 41 minutes in that game. He played 36 in game one, 36 and a half in game one against Houston, and it probably would have been 38 if they were getting blown out, and he sat the last minute and a half. These guys, the I mean, and listen, LeBron's the ultimate example on the other side because dude is almost as old as me. LeBron will be 36 in two months. All right, okay, I'm a little bit older than LeBron, but not by much. He's the oldest superstar in the NBA right now, and he's racking up more minutes in these playoffs than Giannis, than Middleton. What the hell are we saving them for? I don't get it. I know that this this has been completely beaten to a pulp. But why, in, in God's name, has he not eclipsed 37 minutes in a single playoff game to this point? What's happening? His minutes against the Heat, 37, 36, 35, trending down, and then 11 in the game they won yesterday. The Bucks could have won any of those three games, and may have, if he hit 40 minutes, or even 39. Why wasn't he playing four more minutes in that last ballgame, or three more? It's such a small thing, and it's not just Giannis. You're like, what is really going to happen with one guy playing an extra three minutes? Well, for one good things, and two, there are times where neither Giannis nor Middleton were on the floor for Milwaukee, and if you have one of those guys on the floor for that minute or 90 seconds or whatever it is where the Bucks are just like, yeah, we're going to throw away three offensive possessions every game. What? Whatever. It doesn't matter. Again, you know, I'm making a point that's been made a hundred times, a thousand times, so I'm not bringing anything new to light. But I think we can all agree. Sometimes, Occam's razor. Sometimes the simplest solution is the correct one. 
Just play your damn guys. Well, Coach Bud may have saved his job for one more game here. I don't. I, I think he's fired at the end of this series unless they win it, regardless of the Giannis health situation, because you just can't, you can't get smoked like that by a five seed when you're supposed to be going to the finals. This was supposed to be the Bucks' chance. No Warriors juggernaut on the other side. No LeBron in the Eastern Conference. No Kawhi in the Eastern Conference. Jimmy Butler and Bam Adebayo, those are going to be the two guys that stand in your way. I get it. The Heat are a good team. They're not a bad basketball team, but they ain't this good. They ain't this good. They came up with a plan for Milwaukee, and the Bucks haven't figured it out. And then even when they got closer to figuring it out, they soiled themselves with decisions. The uh, the line on that next game is Miami by three. So the expectation, I think, is that Giannis is sitting that ball game out, and that's probably what's going to happen. I, I don't I don't know how he plays on that. That ankle was was pretty messed up. Uh, so then Miami, if they do if they if they do get a Giannisless Milwaukee team, I, I would assume they win that ball game. No, don't, don't get me wrong. Milwaukee will go down swinging, but without Giannis, they're they're not the Bucks, and you know they're that'll be their opportunity to play their guys forty minutes, see what happens. Oh well. Lakers beat the Rockets one seventeen one oh nine. This was a weird one. Lakers. Uh, I mean, you know me. I am uh, not a secret Lakers fan. I'm a very pragmatic Lakers fan from a fantasy standpoint. And they got manhandled in game one, 112-97, particularly in the second half when the Lakers found themselves taking long twos, long contested twos, uh, turning ball over in the second half, not out-rebounding the rock. I mean, that first game was was really bad. And and for LeBron, it was like, look, they, I think they're faster than we realized they would be because you can watch it on film, but you just don't know it until you see it. And a couple of players were like, look, we've been basically resting for like a week and a half. They played one game. Remember, they uh, Lakers went up 3-1 on the Blazers. They sat out the, uh, it was that Wednesday when the NBA went on their two-day strike. Then there was a day off for everybody. And then the games were rescheduled on Saturday. So the Lakers played Monday, if I'm not mistaken, of that week, and then Saturday of that week, and then not again until Friday of this week. So they basically played one game over almost two weeks. One game over like 11 days or something like that. Am I getting that math right? 11 or 12 days? Um, and so, yeah, I mean, there's there's certainly a rust factor that can, that can come in. The Lakers looked in game one against the Rockets like they looked in game five against the Blazers, which was, look, we're just going to go out there. We're going to try to outscore you because... We're not laser-focused right now. Um, and Houston and rightly beat him up in the second half. They made him pay. AD took bad shots in the second. I mean, he overall had a great first game, but he took bad shots in the second half. Caruso was in foul trouble. Lakers could not stop fouling uh, any of them. Harden and, and Gordon, in particular, took 18 free throws between those two guys. Rajon Rondo uh, inexplicably tw- played 25 minutes in his first game since March. And it was horrible on Friday. And I get it. Caruso was in foul trouble, but uh, KCP wasn't. <laughs> Kuzma was awful in that game. Uh, Lakers were just were a total mess on Friday. Uh, they turned it around in, in a pretty big way on Sunday. That game didn't look almost anything at all like the game on Friday. 
other than the fact that it still doesn't feel like the Lakers are defending the Rockets the way that they want to. And I don't know, again, schematically, this is where things get a little bit over my pay grade. Um, But schematically, I think what the Lakers want to do is to force Harden into step-backs and floaters. Try to keep him from the open three-pointer, try to keep him off the free-throw line. They didn't really do that yesterday. They threw some things at the Rockets, so, you know, give the Lakers some credit in that respect. They went, they switched between zone and man defense in the middle of possessions. They sent sprinting double teams at Harden after he had put the ball on the ground to try to get him to terminate his dribble. Sometimes it worked, sometimes it didn't. Oftentimes, it generated wide-open three-pointers for Eric Gordon, uh, Daniel House, and P.J. Tucker, and the Rockets hit 22 damn three-pointers on Sunday night and lost somehow. I'll tell you how, because the Lakers shot 56.5%. Lakers didn't miss much, and, you know, some of those were jumpers. Markeith Morris hit four three-pointers. Danny Green hit three of them, but the Lakers got a lot of wide-open stuff. No, that was that was a more... I think from an offensive standpoint, the Lakers were probably a bit more pleased with how Sunday went compared to Friday. They got wide-open looks for a lot of their guys throughout the ballgame, and when they didn't and got into the half court, they did a much better job of getting AD to within about 13, 14 feet of the bucket. And so if he's taking a fadeaway, it's a 15 or 16-footer instead of, you know, 22. Not surprisingly, Anthony Davis is having his way with the Rockets. He had 34 and 10 uh, on Sunday on 24 shots. Uh, what did he hit? He hit 15, 15 out of 24. I mean, he was fantastic other than his missed couple of free throws. LeBron was very good, did have a bunch of turnovers again, and that's, I'm sure, a spot he'll be looking at. LeBron 28, 11, and 9. Consistently trying to get Daniel House or Russell Westbrook on him. This was one thing that I wondered, because, you know, one of the things that was really scuttling the thunder was the Rockets switching everything, and none of the switches really resulted in a great mismatch. You know, they could try to get someone a little bit bigger on Dennis Schroeder and try to blow by, uh, say, P.J. Tucker, if that's what you were aiming for, or Jeff Green. Or maybe they got someone a little bit bigger on Chris Paul, and he'll try to cross him over and take his mid-range stuff. Same kind of deal with Shea. It wasn't that obvious what the intent of a switch was in that previous series. And it's probably why those games ended up so damn low scoring, is that the Thunder were just were, were burning clock. And on the other end, OKC was actually doing a really nice job of defending Harden, which made it a lot harder for the other guys to get theirs. OKC did a much better job on Harden, to this point at least, in their series, than the Lakers have on Harden in their first two games. Lou Dort plays a role in that. Lakers don't really have a guy they can throw on Harden that can even slow him down at this point, so they're just trying all sorts of gimmicky stuff. Uh, but I got sidetracked here a little bit. Um, offensively, LeBron working to get his mismatches against smaller or weaker guys, basically. So Westbrook, who got into foul trouble, and then LeBron could basically just back him down. And if they brought a double, LeBron will pick that apart. Or Daniel House, who he backed out and just pretty much blew right through him because he isn't strong enough. And LeBron was getting a lot of really easy looks. I mean, look, the guy's shooting almost 60% of the playoffs right now. So he's just picking on guys. 
the the thing that was truly different about yesterday's game on the offensive side, at least for LA, was that uh, Rajon Rondo actually played better. And for as awful as he was on Friday, and for the amount of slander that he, less so, you know, I don't think it was on Rondo on Friday. That had to be on Frank Vogel to run this dude out who hasn't played in a game in six months for 24 minutes. And his first game back is Western Conference semis against the Rockets. Good luck with that. He did some things much better in Sunday's game. He he missed some things. He's still basically too slow to stay with the Rockets defensively because he'll get moved on to Harden and then the Lakers almost immediately send help or you know try to funnel James in a particular direction and Harden's smart enough to know that he's just not going to go the way they're they're trying to push him. Um, but overall, Rondo played a much better game. He went one for five on three-pointers, which was not good. But what he did do better was step inside the three-point line and hit some mid-range shots. Because in the playoffs, because possessions are so valuable, yes, the three-pointer is remains a crazy weapon, but there's, there's something to be said for going to get the shot where your effective field goal percent is going to be better. And that's kind of always the case. But you can get away with it in the regular season if you kind of stink at three-point shooting, you can still take some, and, you know, some will go in, some won't, whatever. You know, it doesn't matter. Uh, other team's going to make some mistakes. Scores are going to be higher. A point here, a point there is not the end of the world. In the playoffs, you got to go with your best effective field goal percent shot. And if Rondo's going to shoot, like, 28 or 30% from three, the effective field goal percent of that, one and a half times its number, is, you know, more like 43-ish percent or as if he can shoot better than that on a mid-range shot a wide open 16 footer from the elbow if he'll knock that down more than 50 percent of the time or around 50 that's better for the league that's probably not the better shot but if you're someone who stinks at three pointers and is markedly better seven feet closer it's a far better shot I don't know what the Lakers are going to do on defense. Uh, I've been reading extensively on what they should be doing, and the suggestions are usually try to get big dudes out there so that Houston, you sort of force them off the three-point line and let your big guys contest, make them beat a seven-footer near the rim because, you know, as good as James Harden is, none of these guys is tall enough to really challenge a seven-footer at the rim. Now, JaVale McGee uh, was injured early in the third quarter. He ended up getting the plug pulled. I think he came out like two minutes into the third quarter. He just wasn't moving well. Uh, listed as ankle pain. I don't know what that means for the next ball game. Would the Lakers consider starting Dwight Howard, who got a DNP in this ball game? The Lakers just decided that once McGee was out, they were going to run smaller lineups. And that gave up a lot because the Lakers had to... Uh, there was no one really to protect the rim, so they had to sag back even more, and that gave up a ton of open three-pointers. I mean, to me, that's that's not a winning long-term strategy. If the Lakers play this same game that they did yesterday a thousand times, I think they lose that game more than they win it because they gave Houston so many open looks from three-point land. And I know the Lakers got quite a few open shots themselves, uh, and, you know, there's no one on Houston taller than six foot seven, so AD can just stand there and shoot over people. But 
you just can't give up that many open looks and expect to win the ballgame every time. To the Lakers' credit, they really capitalized when Harden was out, and they played well in the fourth quarter even when Harden was in the ballgame. So uh, slightly better looks there, better rotations, a few better contests. I don't, I don't know what they do over the course of the entire ballgame to make sure that that's something that can last. You know, something happened in that game on Friday. It was like two minutes into the game, and Houston fired a couple passes into the corner for a P.J. Tucker three, and no one in the Lakers even started walking toward him. And it was in that moment, two, three minutes into the ballgame, that I was like, oh, yeah, Lakers are going to lose this game. Like, if the effort, the energy, the effort wasn't there on Friday. The effort was there yesterday. Even when Houston had their guys open, Lakers were coming at them. This they cared. They cared enough to try to contest or appear to contest. Uh, we'll see what happens in the next one. I mean, Houston, everybody other than Russell Westbrook was really good in that ball game, or everybody that played reasonable minutes was pretty good in that game yesterday, and, and the Lakers beat them. They were just better on offense. We'll see. Fun series. A lot of fun series going on. Three out of the four are, are awesome. Can't wait to these uh, for these ball games later today. Well, you've listened to the podcast now, and for me, that means that the time to wait between uh, the pod and the games has gone from six hours to more like five and a half now as we approach the, the conclusion of today's show. And with that, I once again check the news to make sure nothing's happened since we started recording. The answer is no, nothing's happened. So enjoy your Monday, everybody. Enjoy your Labor Day, whatever you might be doing today. Uh, relaxing, working from home. Make it a good one. Hit me up on Twitter if you want, at Dan Bespris. We continue to bring on good people. Uh, really want to add some more names to our betting division. Let me know if that's something you want to get involved in. Maybe it's something you've been doing recreationally by yourself for a really long time, and you're thinking, I could get over on the other side of that that fence. I could get a, pull back the curtain. Hit me up, at Dan Bespris, D-A-N-B-E-S-B-R-I-S. And with that, we bid you adieu. We'll talk to you tomorrow, everybody. This has been a Hoop Bowl presentation.